once again, everybody, and welcome to In Process here with Redmond Presbyterian Church. My name is Austin Ashenbrenner, and I am your host uh, for this time, and it's, as always, good to be together. Today we have a, a, a bit of a treat. We are joined by the Reverend Dr. Tally Harrison, who is the Director of Community Organizing, Advocacy, and Development at the Seattle Presbytery. Tally also, uh, in collaboration with other leaders, created and launched the Thriving Congregations Initiative, uh, funded through the the Lilly Endowment, which uh, launched um, as a as a pilot project here in the Seattle Presbytery with about a dozen churches uh, close to three years ago and is continuing to uh, expand and, and draw in other churches uh, both in the area and, and nationally and even a, a bit globally. Um, this this podcast is, is always fun to do, but it's always, always better uh, when I get to have a conversation with somebody, especially somebody uh, like Tally who has so much to share with us today. Uh, for those of you who are listening to this podcast from Redmond Presbyterian Church or from around our area, you may have heard us talk about uh, thriving congregations and how this is a, a, a thing we're doing. Uh, my greatest fear, and Tally and I talk a little bit about this today, is that this project, this Thriving Congregations Initiative, would be just that. It would be a project that we do, we complete, and that we put in the drawer never to speak of again. And really our hope is something completely different, is that it this becomes uh, a part of our DNA and, and, and a part of our way of being. Uh, and Tally does a great job at helping us think a little bit more about that today. So as much as we can here at RPC, we're going to talk about thriving congregations. We're going to talk about what we're doing and what we're learning uh, so that it begins to become a part of uh, all of our story. Tally also does a really great job at breaking down these rather complex uh, ideas into person-to-person language, right? How, how, how does it look for uh, me to talk to you, my neighbor, and, and, and what are ways that we might do that well? So I've said plenty to, to launch us or to get us kicked off, uh, but I wanted to set us up uh, so that uh, you knew where we were headed today. We really hope you enjoy this conversation. Again, thank you to Tally Harrison for joining us, and we hope you enjoy. All right, let's get started. Well, welcome once again, everybody. We're glad uh, to have you and, and especially glad to have you this time because we're joined today, as I mentioned in the introduction, by uh, my friend and colleague, uh, Reverend Dr. Tally Harrison. Tally, welcome. It's so glad to have you here today. Good to be with you. Yeah, thanks for uh, for joining us and for making the time. Um, so, this podcast here with with Redmond Prez um, has has focused on the idea of telling stories about where we see God at work in our community, um, and so we've had some fun opportunities to tell little stories about uh, ways we've we've encountered that in our our neighbors uh, through things like a neighborhood walking group or uh, in in larger ways um, around the you know the, the community or the congregation. But all of this, and I think I made this clear when we started, but if not, let me make sure to give credit where it's due, really kind of came out of our congregation stepping into the Thriving Congregations project or initiative, which you are are the director of, creator of, do I have that mm-hmm. right? 
Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah so this decided. is really, yeah, your, your baby and, and um, you're leading the Seattle Presbytery as well as uh, churches around the country and, and even other parts of the world through, through part of this, this process. And so without me kind of butchering what thriving congregations <laughs> is, I thought maybe we would just start with, you know, when, when someone, when you're telling someone what, what TCI or thriving congregations initiative is kind of the elevator pitch, what is it? What, what do we, what do you tell folks? Well, uh, the first thing I like to tell folks is um, this came about through a collaboration of congregations that were um, in 2018, 2019, were wrestling with what the church is to become and how do they learn that. Uh, and so I would love to say I kind of sat in my room, my office, and heard from God and angels showed up. but. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that way. It was um, a collaboration um, that created some ideas where we learned together what that might look like. And, and then I really, I just shaped it and um, inputted some things that I had learned uh, previously about congregational work and community development mm. and Christian community development. And so what, what is TCI? TCI is an opportunity for congregational learning about what it means to be the church in ways that are responsive to the social and cultural challenges of its community mm. that we hope lead to things like adaptation and innovation and resilience in those congregations. Love it. Mm. Which those are big things. I mean, if, if, mm -hmm. if we're thinking about, yeah, adaptation and, and um, resilience and, and all those things, I, I love it. What I also love about what you just said is, um, and, and we'll we'll dive into this here in a second, is that so much of the thriving congregations work at its heart is work that's done best collaboratively, right? It's 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 this acknowledgement that we as the church can't just kind of sit here and and assume everyone will come running desk because we have all the answers. That's we 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 have to fundamentally be uh, in relationship with and and so with our community. So I love the fact that even the 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 origin of of this program of this initiative for you was a collaborative process was born out of your conversations with others so i was telling you this before we hit the record button kind of my uh tongue in cheek joke is um it it, it almost seems silly that as churches we need a a, a whole special initiative uh you know form a, a group of people to come around this to think how do we uh, grow in communication and connection with our, our, our neighbors, our community. I mean, Jesus is pretty clear about loving our neighbors. And, and yet, <laughs> uh, this has certainly been the case at, at Redmond Presbyterian. We've learned, uh, no, this absolutely is, is work that, that we need um, help with, that we need things like Thriving Congregations, a, a whole network of people working on this and sharing their learnings and failings and, and, and successes because it's it's actually more counterintuitive and, and difficult than we think it is. And, and, and for example, I'll just say from, from Redmond Presbyterian's perspective, one of the big challenges for us just right off the bat was acknowledging the reality that we, that we didn't know our neighbors, right? Like to just at, at square one to say, um, 
we want to be a church that is for Redmond, that is present in this community in a way that is um, is impactful and is meaningful and is relational. And then to kind of all stare at each other around the table and go, okay, where do we start? And and go, oh my gosh, we we actually don't know. Um, and and so my my question for you is as as you've done this work and mm-hmm. again dozens of churches in the Seattle Presbytery, and then I know you've you've begun to spiral out again mm-hmm. around the country and the world. What do you encounter? What what are some common yeah. challenges that that churches face as they initiate this process, begin asking this question? You refer to it a lot as a a, a learning journey. So yes. in those initial steps of the learning journey, what are the the first kind of uh, challenges that folks face? Well, it, that's a great question. I will. I'm going to use an example that I hope everyone relates to. <laughs> Um, in a relationship, everyone knows about love languages, right? This idea of love languages. Yep. Um, I I think we realize early on in this process of learning congregations that we did not know our community's love language. Hmm. We assumed it, right? We assumed it. And at times, the damage from assuming a love language can be disastrous. Yeah. It can cause a lack of trust. It can cause worse off. It can just cause conflict. Um, that's one example of of why how well I'll say how love is an example in a relationship that churches also kind of are on that same. This is why we talk about learning because mm. you need to learn your community's love language, so to speak, to use that metaphor. Yeah, the metaphor. I like that. Right. You well, what also we learned in this process was that congregations assumed they listened to the community. What is they that? Had no, like? Yeah, right. They, they had no tools for it. So when we said, Well, how do you listen? There were no tools or activities related to it. So the question is, if I if I ask you, did you hear me? And I ask you to evidence that you heard me and you can't do that, then I can say you didn't hear me. Right. And we heard communities saying the church doesn't hear us. So the goal of thriving became how to help churches learn what the love language of its communities are, to learn how to listen. And those are just two components that we have come across so far. Um, But one and third component is that congregations did not know who they are, their own identity. And that would say, well, what, what, does, what does that matter? Yeah. If you come to me and want to be in a relationship with me and you don't have any idea of who you are, you have left me with nothing to relate to. Hmm. So the congregation... It's a blank canvas. So the congregation, having a better sense of its identity, knows what it has to offer the world, Mm. not in a transactional way, but in a transformational way. So that became like the core. It's also why we don't do this in isolation as congregations. We do it with another congregation or other congregations because we need to have the mirror and we need to have the window, hmm. right? The window is seeing what others do, and the mirror is looking at ourselves. Sometimes congregations 
have only looked at themselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so we wanted to give them the capacity to be able to look at look out the window and see what other congregations are doing, but look at what the community is doing. Hmm. And then look at yourself and better define your own story as a congregation. I love how you frame all that in in person-to-person relational terms, right? Like if you and I sit here and talk and, and I tell you absolutely nothing about myself and, and we walk away, then there's nothing for you to, to link onto. One-to-one, that makes so much more sense than as a church, as an institution, we enter into the community. Um, and similarly, I love the love language concept. I It made me think of a, uh, a friend who was a part of a church in, in the Santa Barbara area and said that they were doing this initiative on the you know, east side of town with a certain population of folks that they were kind of coming into thinking they were going to come help. And, and they knew that this population of people needed, you know, access to medical care. And so they, and they got, they did something right. They, they spent time just getting to know them and playing soccer and having lunch and came to find out over the course of like six months, they, they had all sorts of access to, to medical care. They needed tutors for their kids after school. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just this yeah. paradigm shift of like, Oh, we, we assumed, we assumed so much that, that we knew what was going on. So one of my follow-up questions to that would be, um, why are we, why is that, that listening skill, uh, muscle, whatever you want to, that, that practice of listening, how, how have we lost that? I mean, one thing that comes to mind and, and we've talked about this a little bit in, in our thriving experience is our understanding of community has become more abstract, right? Like we all Many of us drive to churches, um, so so the idea that that our church exists as a part of one community is is not really true. We represent seven or eight different communities, and so even when we talk about community, we we struggle to kind of define it. I'm curious from your perspective, how what other factors like why why have we lost that listening skill? Yeah, I mean the congregation no longer sees itself as parish. Yeah. That's one right that we are. Um, and this is a term we've begun to use more often is the congregation is made up of many social worlds. Mm. Those social worlds may be 45 minutes away. They may be suburban, mm-hmm. exurban, rural, urban, urban gentrified, right? Yeah. Um, urban poor, urban working class. So you have all of these striations yeah. within the social worlds of a congregation where it used to be, it was a parish, it was a neighborhood. So when we say community, that that la- that language has changed. The meaning we pour into it has changed, mm. right? When we say community, we're actually talking about social worlds. Um, so why is listening important? Because what we know is the more diverse a community is, the more listening has to be intentional. Mm. Um, we have we have known this for some time in terms of um, kind of a sociological perspective. We've known this for some time that with a homogenous community where you know all the assumptions of that community, you don't even have to think about it after a certain point. You know, I walk in, I can walk in the house with my shoes on up until a certain point. I need to take them off. I know what who to talk to first. I know what it means to honor someone. I know what dishonor looks like, and it's it's intuitive because you've right. done it so much. With increasingly diverse communities, listening becomes 
not just a practice, but we're starting to see it as a spiritual discipline, hmm. which led us to look in the scripture about the ways in which listening was happening. And we found that there were way more times where this, the narrative of scripture points out that listening and hearing were not just something God told us to do, but something that they actually did as a part of their ministry. Hmm. So it was moving from orthodoxy and only looking at scripture from an orthodoxical perspective yeah. But now we're going to look at it as an orthopraxy. Mm. Like what does right practice look like? And right practice in scripture looked like listening. But of course, the ancient world was very diverse in Jesus's day. So mm -hmm. they, you know, Paul goes to Mars Hill and he's listening and he's, he's looking and he's observing. And the scripture says that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's where my mind went was to the book of Acts and, and so many examples of having to listen about where the spirit is leading us next. And, you know, I think about Peter and, and the early church listening to God talk about dietary, you know, and, and communion with Gentiles and all these things. And mm -hmm. where, I mean, I love that. I love that, that transition from, well, not transition that, that seamless, you know, um, existence with orthodoxy and orthopraxy kind of bringing those two together in conversation because our life today and we'll just say in the, the greater Seattle area looks different than the first century church. Where, where, where do you see really good examples of people engaging in that spiritual practice of listening? Where do we see it? Um, we see it in a church that decided to look outside of its window and see that there was a bus stop on the corner hmm. and that they had never observed the bus stop. I mean, it was there, Yeah, but like many things in our congregational life, we were more about church building hmm. than we were community building. Okay. So when you do community building and not church building, when you do community building, you tend to observe as one congregation did, they went and asked a principal, what is the need this community has that you think might be fulfilled by us? And they said, our kids have a need for art and an after school art program would be just perfect. And they go, oh, wait a minute, we have an empty room an art room, a youth room. And, and it, it kind of just exponentially grew from there. Right. Um, another congregation decided to make listening and programmatic. They literally created a, a community listening forum. Hmm. Two congregations have done so, so far where they created a community listening forum. They invite the community organizations to come and tell them what they don't know. Tell us what we don't know about this place. What's going on? What is your work? How are you doing it? And the congregation listens. That's good. And then the congregation rotated through the, the sanctuary or through the campus with different facilitators at each point, asking these questions about the community hmm. and what the church could do. And then the church developed a strategy to be responsive to what it was hearing. So we're seeing things like that. It, it's not um, a smooth, I mean, anyone who knows about listening knows it's hard. Yep. So you, we do have to practice it as a spiritual, we're finding out that we have to practice it as a spiritual discipline mm. that doesn't happen just one time. Because if you told me that you heard me and you only heard me once, technically you're right. You did hear me, but I wouldn't value that. Why? Because 
I would want you to know that I want to know that you're continuously making yourself available to hear me if you really are trying to to be responsive to me. Right. The first feels transactional. I heard you. I got the data. I'm leaving now. The second feels relational in the sense that I'm in this with we are in this together together. and, and we're learning together. That's that's helpful. Um, I love those that those concepts of those community listening forums and and I'm, I'm always I laugh and I and I'm I love the the assumption back to the assumptions we make so many assumptions you know assumptions about mm-hmm. groups in our communities organizations and in those conversations every every time I've ever had them in in organized ways or or informal ways there somebody will say something quick example, I was meeting with the local police chief and talking about, you know, what are ways that the faith community can, can, can help the work that you do in Redmond. And, and he references some uh, monthly coffee that he does with faith leaders. And, I, and uh, he's like, wait, what, can you back up what? a second? What? Like just, yeah, the, the things that it's like, I assume I know what's going on down at the Redmond PD, but I didn't know that at all. And I think there are lots of examples like that. I'm sure that, that churches are encountering of, you know, I had no idea that school did that or that, yeah, that, that organization did that. So we've already kind of segued briefly into kind of stories of, of hope or, or where you're seeing energy or excitement. Um, I'm curious to know more about that. I, I, I think, um, again, kind of using Redmond as, as our example here, um, some of those things that, that, that you've mentioned were, were trying and, and enjoying the, I, I, was, I was about to say the struggle, enjoying the learning process, the bumps and, and the, the learning of, yeah. yeah, of, yeah. um, you know, we, we hosted a dinner with some local officials and leaders and, and came away from that going, gosh, we really want to do that again. Um, whether or not it kind of becomes one of those listening forums that you're describing or something else. Um, there is this immediate feedback of like, you know, when we get to interact with, with folks in our community, a, we learn, um, there's a lot of people in Redmond that are interested in the thriving of our community, right. Of, of our students being well-educated and healthy and, and our, our communities being safe and, and all these wonderful things. And, and, and two, we learn that there are issues that, that we didn't identify, you know, like we might say, oh, we know that there's a mental health crisis, but we didn't know that what a lot of folks are needing is, is not a necessarily a, in addition to a, a medical professional, they need somebody who just kind of comes alongside them as a, a companion, you know, who helps them get to appointments and things like that. Anyway, I'm rambling. I'm mm-hmm. curious to know what your experience yeah. is when you, you know, you get to do this with so many other churches where other things that you're seeing that you're excited about learnings that you're looking forward to seeing grow. Oh, that's a good one. I mean, I think Maggie, Breen, and I, my colleague on this project, I think we both have um, engaged congregations with this particular knowledge that it's exploratory and discovery, mm-hmm. right? That part of it is getting a congregation's way of life to be in the discovery phase mm-hmm. of what it could do, right? To explore and discover and then to practice. So there's no finish line. There's no there's, sort of like, we got it. It's, this is okay. Yeah. Right. Keep so going. that's, that is the way congregations have oriented themselves. Yeah. So they buy a program, implement the program, 
sunset the program, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, I'm not saying there's not value to that, but when it comes to how a congregation becomes adaptive and innovative and resilient, it's not the start and stop of a program. It is learning how to be a certain way in the world, the world meaning the congregational life, right? So that congregational life is about exploring, discovering, practicing, loving the failure because it teaches you new things mm -hmm. and leaning, leaning into that kind of discovery where failure is okay allows the congregation to be a learning community. Like that. that is um, not something that's always been accepted, but what it has revealed is that, ex that process of exploration, discovery, practice, even failure or success, it should tell you, and this is what we're finding out, it reveals two things. The story of the congregation, what is the story of this congregation? Starts to starts to like level up. <laughs> <laughs> and then inherent within that is the challenge that the congregation's facing sometimes and most of the time, internal challenges. Yeah. So things like we don't have young people starts to get lifted when, when the community goes, we have a young person people problem and there's young people just not with having, and we go, oh wait, we don't have young people. Mm. What do we do about that? So now the story of the congregation is changing from like this aspirational way in which we think about our, our stories, yeah. right? We want to be this and we want to be that and we want to be the hope of the world to well, the we reality. We used to have is, young people 25 years ago. We had so right. many young people. Yeah. Right. So this realistic present story um, that actually mimics the stories we see in scripture often right? Stories that allow for God to be God in the midst of that. Oftentimes our stories are so hopeful that it is simply a dream that we hope God fulfills one day, but it's so much of an aspiration mm -hmm. that we're not able to measure how do we get from here, from point A to point B. What we're, what we're looking at now is how congregations do that exploratory work the discovery work as a way of life, that listening, that learning together as a way of being in the congregational life that starts to reveal the challenges that they're facing both internally and in relationships to the community and adjust their story to that. Mm -hmm. And that authentic story we're finding out creates innovation. It becomes an opportunity to be creative. I absolutely love what you said about letting God be God that, yeah, that in this process that you just laid out, the innovation comes as the result of the listening to God, the, the, you know, walking alongside one at our community, mm -hmm. as opposed to so often it's let's be innovative. Here's an idea, you know, and then let's we take it to the community. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I like yep. that. Mm -hmm. I like that a lot. So what, what do you say? And I, I'm sure this isn't the first time you've heard this. So our Redmond's uh, thriving uh, team is about two and a half, two and a half ish years into our work. And like you said, our, our, our hope is that it uh, doesn't sunset, but that this becomes a part of who we are. Sorry about the phone ringing in the background. Um, <laughs> and, and I'm curious to know, 
both whether a group is at its very beginning or or kind of where our group is at, which is almost feeling in some ways like we're at a new beginning, like, oh, we're we're a little tired. We've been doing this for a while. What next? Um, you know, and 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 we know there is a next, but again, so my my question that I'm asking in a very clumsy way is what do you say to kind of a a discouraged church who maybe has has tried something and and it's fallen flat or they've been going for a while and they're, you know, running on fumes um, or, or a church who's thinking about starting this? Like, what, what do you say to the, the church who's saying, you know, this sounds interesting, but um, it, it wouldn't work for us or, or just, yeah, kind of coming at you from that kind of discouraged point of view. Yeah. I mean, we get a lot of that, obviously there's, you know, um, when churches experience, um, the things they experience, it often is, um, you know, a lot of negatives, right? And we're, we understand that. And that's not new, right? That's not <laughs> new. Um, I, the, the, you know, the one thing that I guess was said to me was, yeah. and, and to us, not just to me, but to, to our team, is um, this is an opportunity to experience a different approach to what we've been trying to address in different ways and effectively. So this, this is a, and this is why I think when the Lilly Endowment is funding so many of these projects is because they have found through their research that there's something to this. Even if you, um, if a congregation just kind of barely moves a little bit, we're finding that that little bit is significant compared to where they would be. Um, and so if you just get one thing, and we have a con- we have several congregations like that, they just have one thing that they picked out of it, and they're going with that one thing, <laughs> and they're deepening that one thing, Go with it. and they're finding outcomes. Yeah. Um, I think congregations are living, right? Mm. They're living entities. And so the, 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 the kind of the hardness of it is um, the hardness of it is you're going to have downsides to anything you do. Yeah. Always, there's always going to be a downside to, to anything you do. But I think there are some uniquenesses to this approach that we have found to be helpful yeah. for folks. In particular, and I'll just name this, this is not a pastor's education program. Yeah. This is congregational learning. Which was one of the things that attracted me to it at, at, from the get-go was, oh yeah, this isn't, like you said, just uh, give the pastor a few new tools in his or her, her tool belt, but rather, yeah, this is a congregational process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Keep going. Sorry. I yeah. It. I would say we've heard it repositions the pastor to add pastor as facilitator facilitating the learning of a congregation and the congregational leaders facilitating the engagement with community in ways that are supported and not just one person volunteering to go make cupcakes for a program down the street. Like that's the kind of thing that I think has been, you know, we've done. That's Mm -hmm. been great. I mean, I'm not, I don't want to take away making cupcakes for a program down the street. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is the systems of society have changed so drastically in the last 60 years 
in the last 20 years. Wow. In the last four years since COVID, right? <laughs> yeah. So much has changed in that time that the church has to develop new, um, I wouldn't even call them new. I would say recall mm. certain practices that it has lost over the last 60 years. One of those being community building versus church building. We need to make sure we're doing community building. And there's, there are ways we have learned to do that. And this is one way that we have found to be effective. So don't get discouraged, but you will. <laughs> when you do. Yeah. When you do. Um, realize you're not in it alone. We've taken a community-based approach right. to this. So you want, you're not the only one on the struggle bus. <laughs> <laughs> Which has been huge multiple times throughout our process of going, you know, when we have these area-wide gatherings of going, oh, we're not the only one who's stuck in in first gear or struggling mm -hmm. with that that problem. Or um, I really appreciate all of that. I, you know, I mentioned one of the things that was attractive to me three years ago or whenever you guys initially kind of rolled this out to the Seattle Presbytery was a that fact that this was not hey, pastors, let us train you all and so that you can go and fix, you know, your church or the community or whatever, but this, that this was a, a communal thing. I also really loved and have continued to love, you know, what you said a, a bit ago, that notion of training churches and community members, well, churches and members and leaders and pastors and whoever to, um, to let God be God, like to, to enter into your church's story, your community's story, listening and watching for the ways that driven by the conviction that God is at work and present already in Redmond and Kirkland and Seattle mm -hmm. and South Seattle and, you know, wherever we are. And our job is to join in that work or to listen and to pay attention to that work, not to, to create it from scratch on our own. And so I've, um, yeah, it, it has, it's been both wonderful and discouraging and, and, <laughs> and, and kind of like that, that, that process of learning a new language where you're like, Oh, my head hurts. You know, like I, I, yeah. I, I feel like I, I don't even know how to say I want to tie my shoes or, you know, whatever, but, um, <laughs> but at the same time, really rewarding. And it's been, it's been great. What, yeah. uh, what comes next for you and for the TCI team and, and this, this ongoing work? I mean, like you said, this isn't, Ideally, this isn't a project that starts and then gets implemented and then sunsets, but where, where, yeah, where's it headed for you? Well, you know, I think Redmond's a good um, example of what's, what's ahead. Um, we're working with congregations who have finished, completed their two years mm -hmm. and are thinking about what norm, what's the new norm Yeah, and, and how to um, alter its structures for the new norm. Right. So um, if if my new norm is I'm going to work out every day and I've developed that as a habit, that's now something I'm doing on a regular basis. That's my new norm. Then <clears throat> certain things just adjust. Yeah. Right. So it's my schedule comes second, comes first to prioritizing my workout time. And what we're finding is congregations are trying to figure that part out. Um, and we're also trying to figure that part out with them hmm. so that we can provide the support systems necessary for the new normal. We yeah. think uh, we have set a window um, based on previous research of six to 10 years that congregations would be, would reach the six year point at a minimum hmm. of doing this work. Yeah. This comes from a set of congregations, not just locally, but also nationally, 
And what we have found is that they, if they can reach the six-year window, similarly, where psychologists say, if you repeat a habit for 30 days or something like that, it becomes, yeah. it becomes norm, normative. Yeah. Um, we think if congregations can practice this for six years, that there's a normativity that develops, but also huh. comes with impact. So okay. that it's not just, um, we, we are adaptive and innovative and resilient, but now that has had impact on different yeah. things, right? So we're impacting our community differently. We're impacting our congregation. We're drawing different people to the congregation. Congregations have heard our story. Now we've got a church full of counselors. What happened? Where did all <laughs> these counselors come from? Well, they they responded to the story that that you authentically developed, yeah. not developed in terms of like a marketing ploy, but developed authentically from your interactions. You've said, mm-hmm. this is who we are. This is who God has made us. And this is who we're, we're what people are responding to. Mm-hmm. We think that's the next iteration of this. And then of course, um, Lily has, um, we'll work with Lily on future funding and how we continue to fund congregations learning, which includes their failures. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it feels funny. I'm sure for you guys to, to hand out grant money to say, yeah, go and fail. But that's one of the things you've done well. And and we've really appreciated the freedom to say, we're going to try this thing. And the the result may not be great and that's okay like to, to not have that immediate you know uh, return on investment kind of pressure mm-hmm. to say we have to we have to that's produce right. something so that's right that's awesome well tally thank you so much for uh for joining us today and for um i, I hope for all of you uh, listening from redmond prez that this i know this is not the first time you've heard about thriving but i hope that this um gave you a much fuller picture of, of what it is and, and what we're doing as a church, but also what's happening in our, our the greater Seattle area and churches all around us and, and the ways that we're continuing to follow God together. Um, again, Tally, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much, brother. All right. We'll see y'all later. <laughs>